The Secrets of Doctor Who is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous supporters. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash donate. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, episode 142. One day, I shall come back. And that's it. I've been renewed. As when a time lord's body wears out, he regenerates. I'm a time lord. I'm not a human being. I walk in eternity. Brave hearty. Change, my dear. And it seems on a moment too soon. Unlimited vice pudding! Position is Wearing a bit thin. Fantastic. Hell, Scottish. I can complain about things. Should be fine. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series, Doctor Who. And today we're discussing the 10th Doctor story, The Unicorn and the Wasp. Joining me today on the panel are Father Cory Stika. Hi, Father Cory. How's it going, Dom? Very well, thank you. And Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. Uh, folks, before we get started, I want to remind you to like The Secrets of Doctor Who on Facebook at facebook.com slash secrets of Doctor Who, and retweet us on Twitter when the show gets posted, where we're at SQPN. And be sure to leave us comments and respond to the show and help us to uh, create a conversation around the episodes as we go. We love to, to interact with you online, uh, and, the, and we can also bring some of that commentary into these episodes with your feedback. So we really do appreciate that. Uh, so I want to first mention the, that this show, this uh, The Unicorn and the Wasp, aired originally May 2008, and it features the Doctor and Donna, and it's the, the, the third season with this Doctor. So it's, uh, we're getting close to the end of his time with this, epi- mm-hmm. with this episode. Each episode is bringing us closer to the regeneration uh, and the departure of Donna. Uh, so, uh, and so some really good episodes coming up. But this yeah, one the, is... The next three episodes are awesome. Yes. And that's and in some ways it it causes sometimes fans to overlook this one, but I really enjoy this one. I do. I mean, this, I did you? I, I I do. I I like a detective mm-hmm. story. <laughs> Father, what did you think? This was this one was a little more campy than I remembered. Uh, um, okay, I, I kind of enjoyed it, but yeah, it was it was a little more on the camp and less on the detective story for me. Jimmy, you didn't like this one. I didn't like this one, and I have not. I had not watched it since I originally got it years ago, um, beca- because I remember not liking it. Yeah, there are a couple of reasons for that. One of them is, and there are minor criticisms as well. But one of the things that I often don't like about episodes, especially in modern Who, where you meet a historical figure, is the Doctor feels the need to gush and gush and gush about how awesome this person is. Oh, yes. Right. And, you know, like, meet Shakespeare. Let's just totally gush about Shakespeare and how awesome he is. Let's meet Agatha Christie and just gush about how totally awesome she is. Or Charles Dickens or whoever it is. Vincent van Gogh. Yeah. Well, Vincent van Gogh is the one that I think works the best. I actually like Vincent. That's a good episode. It might be one of my favorite episodes, yes. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. and I'll, I'll mention why that works, but this one doesn't. Uh, or one of the reasons this one doesn't, but I hate all the gushing about the historical figures because okay. it elevates them and it's inform. It's what's a trope that's sometimes called informed attributes. Instead mm-hmm. of showing me the person's attributes by what they do, 
you're informing me as a cheap writing trick to try to get me to like this person instead of uh, showing me that they're Mm. likable. Right. You're taking a shortcut. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a cheap writing shortcut. So the rule in writing is show, don't tell. And this is tell rather than show. The other thing I don't like about this one in particular is I love mystery stories. I've read the complete Sherlock Holmes multiple times. Hmm. I've owned Columbo the entire <laughs> series. I'm a big mystery fan, but not of Agatha Christie. Hmm. When I've tried hmm. reading Agatha Christie or watching Agatha Christie movies like Murder on the Orient Express or reading the book and then there were none, they're entirely too contrived. Now, Mm. contrivance is something that's a danger in any mystery story, especially ones that are long running like Sherlock Holmes or Columbo, um, because you need to find ways to shake up the formula. And that means you take some risks that can come across as contrived. Well, Agatha Christie did these sort of cozy British mysteries that have ridiculous, totally Mm. unbelievable uh, elements, uh, premises like it's an island and people are being killed off one by one and they all die, including the murderer who ends up killing himself at the end just for Hmm. completeness sake. Or (laughs) it's a train and people are being killed off and someone is killed off and in tracking down who did it, it turns out all the passengers on the train were in on the murder. Right. And, you know, and stuff like that. So um, they're very overly contrived, at least the ones that I've read. Now, I'm not saying Agatha Christie never wrote good stuff. I just haven't found it yet. Uh, Maybe some of the listeners (laughs) will recommend something that's not ridiculously over contrived. I would love that. I'd love to find things to like about Agatha Christie. By the way, Jimmy, spoilers for those who haven't done uh, Murder on the Orient Express. Just kidding. <laughs> yeah, spoil- yeah. Spoilers. Well, yeah. they they do spoil that in this episode. Exactly. Watch this yeah. episode. Donna suggests the plot of Murder on the Orient Express to Agatha That's Christie, yep. which is another danger of Doctor Who historicals, where you meet a historical figure and, oh, guess what? All of Shakespeare's future play ideas came from the Doctor and right. Martha, and all of Agatha Christie's future novel ideas came from Donna. Well, they did. They did kind of poke at it though on this, where Donna wanted you know a share in the copyright. Well, that was hanging a lantern on it, but it just made yeah. the pattern more obvious. But yeah. the what I was going to say is not being a fan of Agatha Christie, at least so far, I'm not especially enamored of an episode that is whose plot structure is consciously modeled after an Agatha Christie story. Right, internally modeled for internal yeah. reasons. Right. Okay. All right. I mean, I I, I still like it, but I accept your your explanation. I, I can see your point. I um, don't hate it. It's just yeah. not. It's not in my. It's not above the fifty percent mark for me. I would okay. say this is a four. Okay. Okay. Um. So, one thing that gets me is apparently this is supposed to take place in December. December third, nineteen twenty six. Yeah, and this is the balmiest December <laughs> I, in England I think has yeah. ever happened. <laughs> I know. Yeah, but if they, I, I think anybody who lives in England would love to have December like this uh, every year. That's for sure. Uh, so, Jimmy, as the mysterious world uh, maven that you are, Agatha Christie mm-hmm. really did disappear mysteriously for yep. ten days in, or some days in nineteen twenty six, with no memory of what happened. Well, she said she had no memory. She disappeared for like 10 days. And by the way, yes, people have asked, will we do Agatha Christie's disappearance in the future? (laughs) And we may. 
if mm-hmm. I can find enough uh, either to build a whole episode around or to include it as a mini mystery in a composite episode of Mysterious World. But yeah, she disappeared. She had just found out her husband was having an affair on her. And mm-hmm. she then showed up and claimed to not remember what happened to her. Right. Mm-hmm. I think that's all, in all likelihood, my, my guess before doing extensive research, but just based on the li- little reading I have done about it, is she was lying. And she totally knew what was happening the whole time. And she either had a nervous breakdown and couldn't deal with things and needed to get away from everybody. Mm -hmm. Or she was using her disappearance to punish her husband Mm -hmm. for the affair or some combination of those things. Interesting. So the the differences between what really happened and what they say here in the show is um, in the episode, it was they said 10 days. Her car was found next to a lake and she arrived at the Harrogate Hotel. In real life, her car was found next to a quarry. It was really 11 days, and she was spotted in the hydropathic hotel dancing in the ballroom on the 11th day. So, yeah. um, so it's some, some differences from reality, but we'll, you know, it's for, for the sake of, a, of the story, we'll go with it. Um, also, I just want to point out missing bees is, are mentioned again, which is part of this yep. missing planets arc that they're building this season. Bees. Uh, bees. Why would bees be missing? <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't creepy at all. So, no. <laughs> uh, so originally there were two. It was an opening and a closing scene added on to this episode uh, of Agatha Christie in the seventies, with having flashbacks to the events, and in the closing, seeing the Doctor and Donna present a copy of her book, Death in the Clouds, from the year five billion. Now they do that whole f- Death in the Clouds from the year five b- billion. With a different scene at the end, but that was originally going to be the frame narrative for this for this episode, and they decided to change it for whatever reason. Um, mm. In addition to there being tons of references to Agatha Christie novels, novels, there's a lot of references and connections to the British version of the board game Clue, uh, which they all, call Cluedo. Cluedo, yes. All the characters resemble characters from the game, and there's even a lead pipe, a knife, and a revolver as murder weapons. As well as seeing, we see candlesticks and a length of rope at some point. So yeah, and of course that it happened in the library. Yes, yes, right at the beginning, we see Professor Peach killed with a pipe in a library by a wasp. Right, and and Donna does does kind of make that connection. Professor Peach in the library with a lead pipe, like she kind of makes that connection for us. So uh, yeah, that's fun. Instead of Professor Plum. Yes. Well, yeah. So people have made other references. Like there's a there's a Colonel. Colonel yep. Mustard, yes. Well, um, the thing, too, if you look at uh, the transcript, and there's you know, Chicotea, or however you pronounce it, uh, the, yep. that has the Doctor Who transcripts, all the uh, Agatha Christie books are in the script. Yes. They, she and, put it, and uh, they, the person who does the transcript puts, put it in italics. Put them yeah. in italics, you can see them, but all of the books are part of the dialogue of the episode at some right. point or another. It's Awkwardly placed or not. <laughs> just, yes, exactly. Sometimes it's a little little obviously uh, a, a shoehorn in. Um, so the uh, also just another little bit. David Tennant's dad has a cameo as a footman, not that footman, but as a footman <laughs> without lines uh, in the background. Apparently he showed up on set one day and they shanghaied him and put him in a costume and shoved him into the scene. Uh, and oh, he, had, he had a lot of great fun. So I, I thought that was really neat. David Tennant's dad. Uh, so. The Doctor and Donna show up in uh, England in 1926, and the Doctor says he can tell what what the year it is by the smell in the air. Uh, apparently, he can t- he's uh, time lords have this ability to tell what 
year it is uh, by, but by smell. But then Donna takes the punch out of him by saying, or maybe it's that classic car that's driving up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes, right. Uh, so they're going to have cocktails on the lawn with Lady Edison, and the doctor uses his psychic paper to invite himself. And this is our second Doctor Who episode that I can think of off the top of my head that is based around a garden party at an English country house. Yes. Um, the other being Black Orchid, which is from Peter Davison's Fifth Doctor Time. And we're going to be seeing that pretty soon on, I think maybe our next Peter Davison episode is going to be Black Orchid. Right, cool. right. So the Lady Edison tells them that there's a jewel thief uh, on the loose called the Unicorn. And uh, and then we meet all the players one by one, uh, including Robina Redmond. Do you guys recognize Robina, the actress who plays Robina Redmond? Mm, I didn't. I don't remember off. I, I looked. I think I saw it, but I don't remember who, who yeah, she is. So we, she is Felicity Jones, who will play Jin Urso in Rogue One. Oh, um, so uh, just I thought that was very interesting. I I, I, I see these actors like I know I know that person from somewhere. And then, I, you know, I look mm -hmm. it up and I find it. Yeah. So, uh I thought that was a little fun. She doesn't get much of a role here, but uh, it's an early role for her. Two thousand. She gets the she gets a title role. She's the unicorn. She is the unicorn. She, they don't, she doesn't get much use uh, out of that, I suppose. But she gets to use a couple different accents, which is uh, yep. fun. Uh, Agatha Christie, the the doctor notes the date is the day she disappears. So it's also the day she dis discovers that her husband was cheating. Um, they f they uh, discover Professor Peach in the library, and the doctor poses as a policeman. With Donna as his plucky assistant, because women were not policemen back then, while Agatha Christie finds a clue in the fireplace. A clue, <laughs> so to speak. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. <laughs> the doctor discovers morphic residue, uh, which means that an alien is involved. Some kind a of shapeshifter. Yes. Yep. Uh, some kind of goo. Um, looked like honey to me, but, you know, it could be. Yeah. <laughs> The premise of bees. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Also, Donna has been early on faking period speech yes. that she's like picked up from reading very bad PG Woodhouse novels or something, <laughs> and it's comically overdone. And so the doctor's like, "Don't, don't do that." Which is <laughs> yes. a line that will come back in a, three episodes from now in Midnight, where the doctor also tells Donna not to speak a certain way. Not oh. to do, don't do that. Well, well, of course that that's been an ongoing thing too, because of course you had Rose when they're facing uh, Queen Victoria and tries to pull the yeah. bad accent. And yes, that's right. That's right. No, 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 don't do that. <laughs> he he does do that very, very well there. Um, we didn't mention that Pe that Professor Peach in the library, you know, where we see him, he says, "I was right. Kept secret all these years. It's unbelievable." But why didn't they ask Heavens? Which, by the way, that's a title of a Agatha Christie novel. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's when he's killed, and uh, so so he's discovered something that's important for later. I, I read that the, all of these uh, Agatha Christie references like that were added by Russell T. Davies as he was revising the script by yeah. Gareth, whatever his name is. Edwards, yeah. Gareth Edwards, that, uh, that he amused himself by seeing how many of these he could sprinkle in there. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't, that's, that's, so, that is sort of annoying. That's like, a script should be something that's crafted, not just like sprinkled things in for your amusement. Uh, I'm okay with it. Okay. Well, I mean, and, and, uh, I'm not a scriptwriter, so I mean, uh, as, as I mean, long as it comes, as long as it comes across as not forced, like when the professor in the opening scene in the teaser drops a line, it's not it's not Donna suggesting a plot or a title to to right. her. It's just natively part of the. Uh, of the dialogue and it doesn't stand out so it's a lanyap for okay, the audience yeah. if you know 
you'll recognize the reference. But if you don't know, it'll just glide past and it won't seem weird. That's that's doing it well. It's basically yeah. fan service for Agatha Christie fans is what it was. Well, yeah. in that case, it's like the doctor is, wears a brown suit all the time. Well, that's a that's an Agatha Christie novel, The Man in the Brown Suit. So yeah. it's right right off the bat. It's one of those. So uh, now Donna does make a point. She's like, there's a murder at this party that Agatha Christie's at. And she says, it's like meeting Charles Dickens, who's surrounded by ghosts at Christmas, <laughs> which the mm-hmm. doctor did do <laughs> yeah. Yeah. as the ninth doctor. Uh, he doesn't mention it, but he kind of gets that look on his face. It's interesting how the doctor gets all excited about solving a murder mystery with Agatha Christie. She kind of slaps him down. How like a man yeah. to have fun while there's disaster all around him. It, it, I thought that was a very sobering moment. The doctor yeah. kind of being put in his place. And at this point, the doctor is pretending to be, as you said, a, a detective from Scotland Yard. And certainly a detective should be professional enough not to be gleeful at the prospect of solving a murder, right? even right. if he is with Agatha Christie. So uh, they, they do this, the, the, the classic interrogating everyone one by one in the sitting room. Uh, and mm-hmm. it's this funny flashback sequence that we get where the, they have to kind of call people back from there, like especially the colonel. Uh, Lord, <laughs> a little too much fun flashback. He's thinking about can-can girls in his flashback and yeah. stuff. Right. Yeah. And they they all, in his flashback, he's having a flashback to can-can yeah. girls. But so they that's all... a little meta. And and then also yeah. Lady Edison, um, she's in her flashback. She's explaining what she did in the afternoon. And then I met you. And then she we continue to see the scene where she met him. And it's like, no, no. Okay. I was there. I was there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But they all lie about what they were doing, exactly. which is very interesting. They all they mm-hmm. all weren't doing what they say they were doing, and none of them have alibis. Notice that is very Agatha Christie. That is one of <laughs> that is murder in the Orient Express. Right. They're all lying. They're, yeah. uh, but the question is, are they all guilty in this case? Although Lady Edison's son has an alibi that he can't reveal. Right. Yeah. So we find out that the scrap of paper that was in the fireplace that Agatha Christie found says maiden on it. So what does that mean? We don't know. Uh, Meanwhile, Donna has been sent, the plucky assistant, has been sent to go uh, snoop around in the rooms upstairs while everyone's being interrogated. With a literal magnifying glass. (laughs) With a literal magnifying glass, which the doctor just pulls out of an inner pocket. I love his bottomless pockets. She has a bedroom that's been closed off for 40 years. Uh, when she came back from India, she had uh, malaria, I think it was what she said, and mm-hmm. was stayed in there so that no one would see her. That that becomes important. For six months. For six months. It's a long time. And uh, they, we discover, she discovers a giant wasp outside the window who flies in, and she uses the magnifying glass and the sun to burn it and escape from its, uh, its giant stinger. So this is part of Donna's season story arc, as she is becoming... More and more like the doctor, she's being further self-actualized to where mm-hmm. she's investigating on her own while the doctor, the doctor trusts her to yes. go investigate on her own and sends her on that mission. And then she successfully defends herself against a monster. And she's like a mini doctor on her own in this scene. The Dr. Donna. Yeah, uh, the Dr. Donna is coming up. Yep. Uh, so then the Indian housekeeper, when she finds out... Uh, uh, she goes. She goes running. Someone has discovered the lady's secret. She says the the poor little. Well, she runs outside, and then someone pushes a gargoyle off the side of the house, and she stands under it, screaming as it as it, as it falls yep. toward her. Instead yeah. of jumping out of the way, uh, it's as it slowly tips forward at her. 
Uh, and as she dies, she says, the poor little child. Uh, so, oh, yeah. a clue. That must be a clue. Yeah. Another clue is also the housekeeper is Indian. And yes. that's mm-hmm. where Lady Edison came back from with the malaria. And that mm. would explain why she knows about this secret, because she was she came back with Lady Edison from India. Yeah, that malaria, it's catchy. Uh, <laughs> so Agatha, that now is alone with Donna, she feels overwhelmed by everyone's expectations of her to solve the crimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this gets to one of my points about why I think yeah. Vincent works better than the Unicorn and the, Ro- and the Wasp. Okay. Agatha Christie spends a bunch of this episode moping. Other people mm. expect her to be the genius de- mystery writer who must therefore naturally be a great detective like Jessica on Murder, She Wrote. Right. <laughs> and 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 she's like, no, I've failed. If anyone can help us, it's the doctor, not me, which plays into one of my other least favorite tropes on the show, building up the doctor ridiculously. Mm-hmm. Um, so, But she spends a lot of this episode moping about her own failure. And it's not. And, and then in the end, the doctor reverses it. And it's like, Agatha, you're the best. If anyone can solve this, it's you. And so this mutual adoration, I really hate. What Vincent did was it showed us another artist, you know, like Agatha Christie's a literary artist. Vincent's Mm -hmm. a a painter. It shows us an artist who who is down and depressed, and it plays it not for just plot gimmicks involving mutual praise. Vincent is genuinely vulnerable, and we have this heartbreaking ending that is beautiful and sad and glorious all at the same time and that's what we don't get here well right. and that you know with, with vincent we we that's a known aspect of the the actual person he was depressed he you know he yeah. he, he, he there was no value seen in his art until after he died yeah. and and they don't pull the punch on what on his real fate which is he does even despite everything the doctor and uh and, and amy do for him that he still ends up the same in the same you know mm-hmm. tragic fate. I mean, that's one of the things that makes that so great. And I and yeah. I see that. Yeah, that is a much greater episode than 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 this one. That's that's yeah. for and, certain. Yeah. And while they don't change Vincent's fate, they still find a way to lighten it for yep. us by giving a. They give Vincent a glimpse of how he will be remembered, and it's beautiful. Uh, oh, yeah. I don't remember if I think Moffat wrote that one. Stephen Moffat wrote that mm-hmm. one. Um, and it 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 shows the 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 difference between Stephen Moffat and Russell T Davies. I'm sorry, but I yeah. think yeah, that's that's the, the difference. Um, so, but everyone feels like they're concerned that it all seems like something out of her books. Like this, the way that these murders are unfolding is just like the plot of an Agatha Christie novel, and she's very mm-hmm. concerned with that. This is Dom Bettinelli of the StarQuest Production Network, and we need your help. Over the past year, we've grown by leaps and bounds. Some of our podcasts, like Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World, are among the most popular shows we've ever produced. But that success is in danger. Creating a dozen shows has caused our expenses to rise, and right now, we aren't making ends meet. We must reach the financial break-even point if we're going to continue. If our reserves are depleted, we'll have to cut back many of our shows. We might have to shut down entirely. That's why it's crucial we hear from you right now please go to sqpn.com slash give and click the become a patron button to make your monthly pledge if you're already a supporter please consider increasing your pledge the need is urgent so please go to sqpn.com slash give that's sqpn.com slash give 
Meanwhile, she discovers a burglar's toolkit in the garden, in the flower bed. Um, and they, 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 the unicorn's toolkit, maybe? Uh, the doctor is poisoned with cyanide, and he has to detox. Uh, <laughs> he, someone poisons his drink, so he engages in crazy charades with Donna, which was funny. You know, he's trying to get her to, to get him, you know, things like protein. And, and, and it's, it's funny if it works. Yeah. And then yeah. he, he, he uses his mysterious, fakey Time Lord biology to expel a cloud of cyanide Poison. residue. Yeah. Right. He does need a final shock to, uh, to, on the system, so she kisses him, which is uh, yeah. very funny. Uh, then, uh, so at dinner, uh, he's trying to uh, uncover the, the Vespa form. So the, he's, they've discovered that yeah. this is a shape changer, someone who looks like a human, but also is a giant wasp. So he laces the soup with pepper, whose active ingredient is piperine, an insecticide. Is that true? Is that piperine an insecticide? You know, I no. haven't checked it out. I yeah. I assume that they're being accurate with the science at this point. I mean, yeah. Wikipedia Wikipedia did exist when this was made. <laughs> yeah. I, I've not heard of that one being sprayed over the crops around here, but that doesn't mean anything. Jerk <laughs> yeah, uh, Kremersley says, "Ah, oh, I thought it was jolly spicy." Uh, <laughs> well, I would ass- I would assume it's used as a or was used as an insecticide prior to the advent of industrial right insecticides. Right. Um, and I know of similar things like um, cinnamon has been used for dealing with ants. Yes, because the ants, ants don't apparently cinnamon. don't like cinnamon. Yeah. On cue, the storm uh, wind blows the windows open and blows out the candles, and the Vespa form appears. Roger is killed in his soup. Poor Roger. Uh, Lady Addison's <laughs> necklace is stolen, and we find out that the necklace is from India. Mm, interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, the so the the only one we've eliminated from contention here so far is uh, Rod, dead Roger, dead housekeeper, yeah. dead Professor Peach, and the butler. The butler did not do it in this case because mm-hmm. they were with the butler. We, we we saw yeah the butler was n- not around was around when the Vespa form was and thus can't be the Vespa form right. Uh, the doctor tells Agatha that she's so good as a mystery writer because she knows people so well. And then we have this, the classic confrontation scene where everybody is gathered into the library. Uh, and one by one, she goes through them to, to say, you know, it's the Columbo thing. You know that, that mm-hmm. whole scene. Oh, no, 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 no. This is <laughs> Columbo. Columbo does not sit around with a room full of suspects and eliminate them one by one. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> Columbos are how catchems. They're not who done it. They're yes. how catchems. Okay. We see from the very f- opening sequence before Columbo ever shows up, we know who the criminal is. Okay. So that's never in doubt. The question is how how is G- Columbo going to catch him? Okay. Um this this let's have a room of suspects and and talk about him is a trope of British uh a lot of British mysteries, but um they're who done it because that's okay. what that's why we gather everyone together to process who could and couldn't have done it. Um, and I thought this scene was really lame um, for a couple of reasons. Some of them are, are, are just things happening in the background. Donna is eating right. during this scene. Popcorn? She's got like popcorn. Yeah. And, and she's not taking this scene seriously. The doctor, through a bunch of it, looks bored. I mean, mm-hmm. like he's been given stage direction to look bored yes. during this scene. And then he like gets up and we and and starts making these overly dramatic, silly, false, what appear to be false accusations that are misunderstood. So he points at Donna 
and says, it was you, Donna Noble. And she's like, what? I didn't commit a crime. It's no, it was you who did this other thing. And right, then yeah, he right. points, it was you, Agatha Christie. And it's like, I didn't commit a crime. It's like, no, you did this other thing. And it's it's just, it's meant to be funny. And it's it to me, it was it's, not. It's campy, right. Yeah. Well, then we you got, got Donna of- said, well, well, she did it for real, right? No. Well, she yeah. did it, right? Oh, no. That, that it was her? Yeah, uh, you're right. Uh, the, we get the references to Doctor says, I've called you here on this endless night. That's a novel. Mm-hmm. Uh, Agatha yeah. says, this is a crooked house. Another novel. Um, so, Robina is revealed. Uh, Robina Redmond is not really Robina Redmond. She's the unicorn um, with a Cockney accent. Uh, then we've Instead got, of the posh one she's been affecting. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. Throws the necklace back. Uh, Agatha, uh, let's see, uh, Agatha, you know, turns to the colonel. The, the colonel stands up. You've, damn it, woman, with your perspicacity, you've rumbled me. I can walk. And it's like, she's like, no, no, I was just going to say that you're the only one here who's got nothing against you. I thought that was kind of funny. He was, yeah. uh, he was faking outed his illness it, to keep his, his wife. his own secret. Yep. Yeah. He, yeah. To keep his wife uh, from leaving him because she's so much younger than him or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so we go through the whole list and we get to Reverend Golightly, the, the, the Reverend and. The young priest. And of course it has to be the priest. Yeah. Right. Yep. Yes. It's and, always our fault. <laughs> <laughs> so. We find out that Lady Addison didn't have malaria in India. She was pregnant and returned home with her maid, Miss Chandrakala, to give birth. And the doctor reveals that she was pregnant with an alien baby with the Vespa form. And so it turns out that Reverend Golightly was was a half-Vespa form child who had been sent to an orphanage. And the jewel uh, in the necklace turns out to be telepathic and beamed Agatha Christie's novel into his brain. Mm. uh, And then he rejects our tribal sky god. Yeah, there are a few a few things. So there are a few additional things about this. We get some yeah. flashback to, to, to 20 years or 30 or 40, not 40, 40. but 30 years before where, yeah. or maybe it is 40. It's 40, um, yeah. Yeah, uh, to India where we see the Vespa form who is in human form at this mm-hmm. point. Um, and he's very dashing and handsome and he romances the young lady Edison and and uh, he even reveals to her his secret that he's a giant space wasp. Yes. But she's so in love that she doesn't care. <laughs> and they conceive the baby and then he drowns in a flood. Yes. And so that's why he's not with her anymore. But he gave her this alien jewel thing, which is called like the Firestone. Yes. Mm-hmm. Even though it's clearly looks like an amethyst instead of a ruby. It's not mm-hmm. red. It doesn't look like fire. Right. Um, but uh, but he gave her that. And that's effectively for Vespa forms what the doctor's watch was right. in human nature. Right. It's a device that contains his identity and allows him to function as a pure human. And so it's like this device lets the Vespa forms appear human and have a human body. And it also is capable of these telepathic things. So this one has the true identity of the um, of the priest, uh, Reverend Golightly. He apparently he was raised in an orphanage. There's an earlier reference to him being raised by the Christian fathers and things they taught him. And he then grew up not knowing he was a giant space wasp because he's mm-hmm. always had a human body. Right. And and um, he became a priest. And we get a flashback of his where he's in church and his his church and he catches these guys stealing sacred 
liturgical furnishings from the altar. Mm-hmm. And that's what gets him mad. And, and this, I thought, was effectively done. He, as he gets mad, he starts twitching. His like, head is jerking to one side, and he starts speaking with this buzzing, put those things back, you know? Um, and, and that, and, and then he, he glows in purple. the doctor's words, <laughs> he glows purple. Yeah. And in the doctor's words, it broke the genetic lock. Yes. And that's when his identity w- was beamed into his head, along with Agatha Christie novel information from the uh, from Clemens from Lady, Lady Edison's Edison. jewel. Yeah. yeah. And I and I thought it was. I thought this was well done. I liked this. Um, what I didn't like was then he then has totally turned his back on humanity. You know, you humans worshiping your tribal sky gods. Right. Uh, it's like, OK. What would have been vastly more interesting is a priest who's a giant space wasp who sincerely is still because he obviously is sincere here. It mm-hmm. was the boys taking the sacred vessels that made him mad. Right. Right. What, what would be interesting is him maintaining that. He's a giant space wasp who still wants to be an Anglican priest. Yeah. But we we can't have um, that because we got to we got to show that, you know, Christianity is a fraud or something. Yeah. Because something. Atheism. But it would have been cool to see that that conflict in him of knowing how different he really is from humanity, mm-hmm. and yet he's an alien, which would be a connection with our recent episode, by the way, on Mysterious oh, yeah. World, about aliens and religion. Including, <laughs> could aliens become priests? Yes, that that's a very interesting uh, question. But it, so, yeah, I mean, that, that I think they've, it's a missed opportunity here, to, to because what they needed him to do was to go crazy and to, uh, to start attacking people. That's what really where we needed him to go. And so that's what they, they kind of short circuit that into that direction. So Agatha blames herself for him because obs- Lady Addison was reading the Agatha Christie novel at the time of the telepathic link. And that's what it is. And so mm-hmm. his template for the world or something is an Agatha Christie mm-hmm. a murder mystery or something. It, it was a little shaky, that explanation. Um, yeah. And, and Lady Edison has been established as a huge Agatha Christie yep. fan. So she's got all this other Agatha, Agatha Christie plot knowledge and stuff in right. her head that presumably right. went through the link as well. So uh, Agatha grabs the, the jewel and gets Golightly to follow her. Donna, you know, they, it, she because, drives him, yeah. because Agatha Christie realizes my books have now caused all of this. Yes. And that's why mm-hmm. all of these people have died. So now she's taking responsibility and is going to deal with it. Right. So she drives off. Even, even though she's really not responsible. It, you can't, if yeah. you're a mystery writer, you can't reasonably foresee that one of your fans is going to telepathically download all your novel information <laughs> into the head of a giant space wasp just as just at the moment his identity is revolutionized. Uh, I, I certainly cannot foresee that happening with these podcasts, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> no. so, so she stops by a lake uh, with the stone and Donna grabs her. The doctor refuses to a- attack the wasp. So Donna grabs the stone and throws it in the lake, knowing that the how you kill a wasp is drowning it. She mm. knew what was going to happen, so the Vespaform falls it in and drowns, just and the, like its father died in a flood. Exactly, and the mm-hmm. and Donna, like she, she doesn't try to to, to whitewash it. She says, I, "Yeah, I killed that thing. <laughs> it's a wasp." Yeah. The doctor is a little upset, but not enough, I think. Right. Yeah. This is also an altered ending because in the original script, the doctor 
was the one who was going to kill the wasp. Yes. And and David Tennant objected, and he didn't want the doctor to be portrayed doing that, so they shifted the role to Donna. Right. Uh, and then it turns out that Agatha is connected to the stone telepathically. Because uh, so it's her novels, and that something. is, like, relevant. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So when the Vesper form dies, it lets go of her. It could have dragged mm-hmm. her with it, um, sort of like the Genesis planet and Spock. And mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Let's lets her go, and uh, and her mind gets wiped conveniently because that's what was supposed to happen. And the doctor and Donna take her to that hotel ten days later, where she, you know, where her memory comes back after and, she's apparently traveled with him for ten days. So there it, could be some big finish in there where you have ooh. an amnesiac Agatha Christie traveling with the doctor or, and Donna. Or did they just <laughs> take the TARDIS to ten days in the future? Oh, big finishes if they can get the right <laughs> they actress. Can stick it in, yeah. That's true. And, That's true. And they've already had the eighth doctor, Paul McGann, traveling with Mary Shelley oh, as a companion. It would be fun to have. I mean, I know you're not a big fan of Agatha Christie, but I think it would be fun to have the doctor and Donna and Agatha Christie going around and having adventures solving some uh, murder mysteries. Mm-hmm. So the doctor, uh, meanwhile, after they drop her off, we get that scene back in the TARDIS where we're talking about how wonderful uh, Agatha Christie is. He keeps her books in a chest mark C for Cybermen, Carrionites. A bust of Caesar and some cables. Uh, yeah. He shows her uh, daughter the book Death in the Clouds, which is, apparently has something to do with wasps. I never read it. It's but. got a giant wasp on the cover in addition to an airplane in the clouds. Yes. Hmm. Published in the year 5 billion because Agatha Christie is the best-selling novelist of all time. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> the um the the and it, this is a paperback and if you're wondering why do they have a paperback in the year 5 billion in the, on the inside of the page one of the front matter pages mm-hmm. it says replica edition. Yes. Yeah. So this is like from the year 5 billion it's a replica of an old style paperback. So once everybody's reading, you know, ebooks and everything or having you know just download it into their brains, they still want the the sense of reading like actual paper so they got to have the replicas i have replica papyri on my shelf so i don't know what you're talking about that's, 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 <laughs> and that's only three thousand years so. can you read it uh, uh i pretend to it's okay <laughs> <laughs> so um yeah so that's that's how it ends uh with uh as you said jimmy talking up agatha christie as if she's the best thing since sliced bread five billion years in the future um so uh, any other notes, last notes on this Father? story? Nope, not here. I only have two uh, additional things. I, I like in the interrogation scene where they're, everyone's sitting in the chair and having uh, flashbacks that mm-hmm. they have to get called out of. Um, after they've run through all the people in the house, the with some exceptions I'll mention next, um, the doctor is just him and Agatha Christie are alone, and he sits down in the chair and he starts having a flashback. This is like the flashback <laughs> chair. Yeah. He starts flashing back to, to when he was in the forest hunting uh, to find Charlemagne, who'd been kidnapped by an evil robot right. or something. Yeah. And and instead of talking about the implausibility of being kidnapped by an evil robot or computer or whatever it was, Agatha Christie in voiceover says Charlemagne lived, died centuries ago. And and the doctor, in I love his reaction. He snaps out of the uh, flashback and says, "I've got a very good memory," implying <laughs> yeah. I was alive hundreds of yeah, years exactly. ago too, and I just remember it. <laughs> the exceptions, the people who are not interviewed, are all of the servants. Yep. Um. The, one of the things is this episode is like Gosford Park. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Gosford Park. 
but it's a murder mystery. It's set in an English country house. And one of the key things about Gosford Park is when Stephen Fry, the detective in that case, shows up, he instantly focuses on the upstairs people and assumes it has to be one of them who's the murderer because the downstairs people don't count. Mm. And except for Donna noticing that the butler was here when the wasp was, so he couldn't be the one, there is no attempt to clear anybody who's a household servant. So we've got the Gosford Park assumption in play here. It's got to be the posh upstairs people who are the players. The downstairs people don't count. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, even like Roger the footman, who is having a surreptitious uh, relationship with the son, uh, the Lord's son, is, uh, you know, he could be a part of it. It is never even brought into it except as a sympathetic side figure. He's sort of just a cipher, of course. And the only reason the butler gets called out is because it's an inversion of the butler did it trope. Right. So I know the butler didn't do it. Right. That's true. That's true. Uh, Anything else on that? Nope. All right. So uh, that's uh, the unicorn and the wasp. And uh, so uh, I I, I had some campy fun with it. It, It's not great. Uh Uh-huh. It's not great stuff. But we got, like I said, we've got some really good stuff coming up uh, after this. Um, And... uh, the the next three episodes of David Tennant we're going to talk about are the three that I show people to introduce oh, yeah. them to Doctor Who. They are that good. If I have only there's there's a two parter and a one parter. If I only have time to show one a, a person one episode, I show them the one parter. If they're if they're visiting for a whole evening and I can show them a two parter, I show them the two parter. But it's the next three episodes that are so good. Yes. They're my introduction to Doctor Who for newbies. Oh, that's an interesting idea. Yeah, I think I think that's a good good way of putting it. Because I've had people ask me about how do I get started. Uh, starting there might be, and then going back or somewhere. But yeah, interesting. Yeah. Excellent. So uh, before we finish out, I want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Doctor Who, including Jeremiah N, Irinus R, Paul O, David M, and Michael V. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue The Secrets of Doctor Who and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give, and we really do need your help, folks, so we really appreciate it. So that's it from us. What what do you think of The Unicorn and the Wasp? Let us know by visiting sqpn.com or The Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page, or send us an email to Who at sqpn.com. And we'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the fourth Doctor story, the Invisible Enemy. Until then, Father Cory Stika, thank you for joining me in sharing the secrets of Doctor Who. Glad to be here, and thanks, Dom. And Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thanks, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Doctor Who on StarQuest. And remember, no one knows how they're going to be remembered. All we can do is hope for the best. Maybe that's what kept her writing. Same thing keeps me traveling onwards. Onwards.